Okay, uh, today is the uh, final Sunday in this series, Life on Mission. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, this is a campaign that comes from a book uh, that was written by Tim Harlow uh, out of Chicago. And so um, the last step, we're talking about the last step today, and we've been clarifying our mission, talking about the action steps that Jesus expects us to take as his followers. And we talked about the first week, the fact that uh, we need to connect to people and build relationships. Then we need to serve people by meeting their needs. Next is time to share the good news with the connections that we have made, the relationships that we have built. And finally then, we need to grow. That is, internally, by becoming more like Jesus and then reaching out and reproducing and assisting others uh, who are already committed to Christ to continue to grow to be more like Jesus. However, we cannot overlook the importance of prayer in this process. The power to accomplish our mission is in prayer, not doing things on our own. We have to talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. A cab driver and a pastor were standing in line to get into heaven. The cab driver approached the gate and St. Peter says, Welcome, I understand you were a cab driver. Since I'm in charge of housing, I believe I found the perfect place for you. See that mansion over there on the hilltop? It's yours. The pastor heard the conversation and began to stand a little straighter and a little bit taller. Uh, he thought to himself, wow, if a cab driver got a place like that, just think what I'll get. So the pastor approached the gate and St. Peter said, welcome. I understand you were a pastor. See that shack over there in the valley well, St. Peter had hardly gotten these words out of his mouth when the irate pastor said, I was a pastor. I preached the gospel. I helped teach people about God. Why does that cab driver get a mansion and I get a shack? Sadly, St. Peter responds, well, it seems that when you preached, people slept. When the cab driver drove, People prayed. So I used to say that um, I used to take pride in the fact that I could put babies and old people to sleep during my sermon. I'm now extracting old people from that, and so I'll just hang on to babies. You older people, stay awake. Don't want this to happen to me. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 12, or verse 2, which I read at the beginning of the service. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now, we've actually addressed this verse before in this series. And our reaction when we read this verse is, wow, we need to get busy. You know, we've got a lot to do. We've got a lot to get accomplished. But no, our first thought is we should pray. Jesus will release his Holy Spirit, 
and then the power will be there. It will be available. That's what enabled the early church to change their world. The problem with the 21st century church is not a lack of action, but it's a lack of, of prayer. Now, the disciples who were with Jesus day in and day out uh, recognized that prayer was the source of Jesus' power. Remember, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. People today still aren't quite certain exactly how prayer works. Uh, a soldier jumped into a foxhole. Bullets were flying all around him, and he sees a crucifix laying in the bottom of the foxhole uh, that was obviously left there by a previous inhabitant. About that time, another guy jumps into the foxhole. He looks up to see that it's a chaplain, and he says, boy, I'm glad it's you. How do you work this thing? He knew he needed to pray, but he didn't know how. Most people, even Christians, don't really understand how to utilize prayer. The disciples, you'll notice, didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to turn water into wine, and they had seen that. Uh, he didn't, they didn't ask him to teach them how to cast out demons, and they would seen him do that, or walk on water. They asked him to teach them how to pray. Prayer is the privilege for every believer to be spiritually connected to the Father. You see, in the Old Testament, that was a little more difficult because you had to go through a priest. In the New Testament, we're open, uh, we're, we're a royal priesthood, and we can all individually approach the Father. How quickly we make excuses for our lack of unhurried time uh, with the with the Father in his presence as we rush headlong into life without the power or direction that we really need from God. If God is for us, who can be against us? The mission does not depend on you or me. The mission depends on, upon God. Gene Apple, who preaches in California, outside of Los Angeles, said, Recently a buddy of mine told me that his mother prayed every day for 40 years for his dad to become a follower of Jesus. She just kept praying and praying. She prayed through year one, through year five, through year 10, year 20, year 30. She kept praying. Finally, after 40 years, he decided he needed to become a follower of Jesus. And he wanted to be baptized in the Jordan River in Israel. I mean, it was a dramatic conversion. As he told me the story, Gene says, I thought, what if she had stopped praying after 39 years and said, you know, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Don't ever underestimate the power of, of your prayers for someone who has yet to experience the amazing grace 
of Jesus Christ. Dave Stone, who preaches in Louisville, Kentucky, said, I found that when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't happen. And so I'm better off when I invite God into my day and say, Lord, will you lead me to the people you want me to visit today? Will you find someone for me to encourage? Is there someone that I can pray with Is there something that I can do on your behalf? When I begin my day with prayer, it's as if he kind of dictates my decisions and directs my steps. When I don't, I feel like I spin my wheels and don't get much done on those days. Now, studies indicate that successful churches across America take prayer seriously. In most churches, prayer has become something to which we pay lip service, basically. We say we believe in it, but we rarely get beyond a recitation of form prayers or a barrage of requests that we want answered at God's earliest convenience. As evidence of the tepid interest in prayer, Notice that when voluntary, organized prayer activities are attempted, they generally attract very small groups of people. And I can remember when I was younger and uh, churches still had prayer meeting, that you had Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, prayer meeting, usually on Wednesday night. That was the lowest attended service all week. And... In that setting, people, it was like a roll call for all the people that were in the hospital and nursing homes, is what it was like. And so people talked about prayer, and they talked about people who needed prayer, but very little time was actually spent in prayer. Uh, that's, that's, from my memory, what I experienced. In the successful churches that I mentioned, Prayer rallies the troops. And these people seem to understand the power of prayer. And so we need to gain an understanding of that. Uh, We need to pray for opportunities to share with people the good news of Jesus. If you've ever done that, you know what happens. After you pray for that, then all of a sudden, all these opportunities seem to pop up in front of you. And the truth is, they were there all along. You just never noticed them before because you never prayed. Prayer makes me aware, aware of opportunities. Actually, that statement is a quote uh, from Rick Warren. I think it's a great observation because prayer makes me aware, aware of people, aware of situations around me that need attention. Well, Jesus was a busy man, no question about it. You read the Gospels, you'll see that. Yet he took time for prayer and fasting. Jesus had only three years to start a revolution that would save the world, a revolution that's still in effect. Now, think about that. Thousands of years, we don't know how many it will be, but he he prepared 
for only three years for that revolution to take place? Can you imagine what he had to pack in to that three-year period? He was definitely a busy man. If you were in Jesus' sandals, would that be a lot of pressure for you? And he did it without a day timer. My memory won't let me exist without a day timer. If I don't write it down, I forget it. Sometimes I write it down and I still forget it. But Jesus did all that without a day timer. Jesus began his ministry immediately following his baptism and, and then following his baptism, 40 days of prayer and fasting. Jesus' method of starting his revolution was preaching and healing people. Okay, so he had a message. But to go along with the message, he, he provided a service. He met needs, which opened people's hearts and gave him <clears throat> the opportunity to get through to them. In Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 29, Mark records this beginning of Jesus' ministry. As soon as they had left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon, that's Simon Peter, we normally just call him Peter, and Andrew. Verse 30, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her, so he went, in, so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, uh, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was, and it wasn't time yet. For that to be revealed to the multitudes. Now that I inserted that explanation. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Okay, so Jesus travels uh, to Simon Peter's hometown and to his house, where it says that Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Now, the largest Christian denomination in the world teaches that Peter was the first pope and that Peter was never married. Now, how else could Peter have had a mother-in-law if he was not married? Do you know of anyone who has a mother-in-law just for fun? Jesus healed her. Now, Jesus was unhurriedly dependent on his father throughout his life and ministry. Though he was busy, he had plenty of time for communication back and forth with his father. So, unlike us, Jesus was never too busy to pray. Even after a long day of ministry, which we just read about in Mark 1, that stretched well into the late evening, Jesus rose up early the next morning to commune with his Father. I'm going to give you, us, uh, some suggested action steps here in this area. The first one is pray for one. Now, 
You might not necessarily have a single person in mind. That's okay. You need to pray that God will place one person in your life today uh, that you can that you can make a connection with. And so I'm going to challenge you to do as as I am going to do, and that is to pray for one person every day. You got a whole day to meet somebody. Uh, that you can establish a relationship with. Make this your predominant prayer. God, please give me one person today to share your love with. And so when we anchor our lives around that prayer and we build our lives on that foundation, it puts us right in line with the heartbeat of God. It connects us with God spiritually and we love him like we've never loved him before and we began expecting him to move in our lives to work and to answer this prayer we are also going to love people like we've never loved them before every person we're, we meet we're asking god you know kind of inaudibly uh could this be the one you know in this process, we will be literally carrying out the Great Commission. Actually, I understand that the commission should read as you go instead of a, a direct command, go. Because as we live out our lives, wherever life may take us, we are to take the good news of Jesus and share it with the people who are around us. Now, the second action step, is make a prayer walk around your neighborhood. Um, Mark Batterson, who preaches in Washington, D.C., made this statement. He said, the greatest tragedy in life is the prayers that go unanswered because they go unasked. Think about that for a minute. Okay, back to, to the text, uh, Luke 10, 2. Uh, he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send, send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I would suggest that you set your watch or your phone or both to 10.02. This is a.m. 10.02 a.m. every day. And that that's this passage that we just read. And that at that time, you pause wherever you are. It doesn't have to be out loud. You don't have to make a scene, you know, for people to notice you. Uh, But pray. Stop and pray. Pray for unreached people groups. I mean, there are tribes. uh, There are ethnic groups all, all over the world. Hundreds, even exceeds a thousand that have never heard. The good news, they don't even have Bibles in their language, their native tongue. Pray for unreached people groups. Pray for the persecuted church, because in a lot of places the church is being persecuted. In addition, pray for the families in your neighborhood. Um, you, you may live in the country. If you live in the country, you don't have many neighbors around you. Get in your car, you know, and drive around and... Uh, Stop in front of a home and pray for those people. If you don't know who they are, uh, pray for them. So pray 
over your neighborhood. Have your children pray for individual missionaries. You know, we like to use the shotgun approach when we pray, God bless the missionaries. But our prayer for missionaries gets a whole lot more powerful when we start naming missionaries. When we start using the rifle approach, we start shooting for one at a time and asking God to bless them and their, their ministries. And so what this will do with your children is it will make them mission-minded. So when they grow up, they're going to be concerned about places in the world where the gospel of Jesus needs to go. The third suggestion is to tell your Jerusalem friends. Now remember, we talked about Jesus telling the disciples you know, that they would go through Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, you know, they started where they were and worked, worked their way out. So tell your Jerusalem friends that you will pray for them. When you establish a relationship with people, when you make a connection, uh, people will eventually express to you a need. Or you can always offer uh, to pray for any need that they might have. Say, is there something that you would like for me to pray about uh, for you? And they won't be offended if you offer to pray. And a lot of times that makes a great segue into a deeper spiritual conversation. In Acts 4.31, the Bible says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That was not a small thing to speak the word of God in public in this time because people who did so were persecuted. And so you would have a tendency to, uh, to be cautious about where you said what, or what you said where, either way you want to look at it, uh, because you, you, you don't know what would happen to you. You, know, you might be arrested, you might be put to death, you might be crucified like Jesus. And, and here, the Spirit of God came upon these people, and they spoke boldly. You, you need boldness to overcome that fear of consequences. Without a doubt, praying about our attempts to share the good news of Jesus will make us more successful uh, than trying to reach people without specifically asking for God's help. Prayer is a mystery that cannot be explained in scientific terms. You can't explain it. You can't prove it. Not scientifically, but it is rooted in our faith and relationship with our Father. Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3, Devote yourselves to prayer, Paul writes, with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. I don't know precisely how the Holy Spirit moves through and following our prayers. I don't understand that. I simply know that when people pray, Spiritual activity takes place. If you want to fish for people, don't handicap your efforts by failing to pray. Pray first, then fish. 
And then friends bring friends to Jesus. Helping someone discover Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior, listen to me, is the greatest accomplishment in life. It is the greatest accomplishment in life. Not everybody here will agree with that statement because your priorities are off. You don't understand what's truly important in life. You don't have a Christian worldview. Though you consider yourself a Christian and you may have gone through the steps of becoming a Christian, we need more Christians to have a Christian worldview, to see the world from God's perspective. You see, people who don't have a Christian worldview, uh, their focus in life is elsewhere. And so they look at their personal accomplishments, their, their economic accomplishments, their financial accomplishments and, and all as, as being uh, more important than what happens on a spiritual level. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17, one day as he was teaching, that's Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. That's a crowd of people a crowd of religious leaders. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat, mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. There's a couple of unusual things here. Number one, they went up on a roof way different then than now. It would be a major ordeal to tear up somebody's roof and drop somebody down in the middle of the house today. But it was, it was easy because their roofs were tiled, and so they just peeled off the tiles and, and lowered this guy right down in front of Jesus. And so you'll notice Jesus' response here is kind of unusual. It's not what you would expect. He said, once he saw their faith, now it doesn't say his faith, the faith of the man on the mat, uh, their faith, which includes the man on the mat, plus his friends that brought him there. They, they were all in agreement on this. If the man on the mat would not have been in favor, he would have stopped his friends from doing this thing. He, you know, he said, that's ridiculous. You know, no, there's no use. Um, but it, all of their faith together, Jesus recognized that, and he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, we're not going to read the rest of the story, but the rest of the story, these religious leaders, they're, they're like, what? Who can forgive sins but God? Okay, so they're ready to, to jump on Jesus. They don't recognize the fact that this is a great miracle that's taken place here, that in order to do this miracle, he was exactly what they were saying, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, he wasn't. Only God can forgive sins. Well, he was God. So he could forgive his sins, but he was healed as well. Now this kind of reminds me of a photo that I saw of two dogs, okay? You see that? The big dog 
is giving the little dog a ride. Now, that's, that's true friendship, when one person helps another. Now, in order to be effective in our life on mission, we must bathe everything we do, everything we plan to do, in prayer. There was a small town in Kentucky that had two churches and a whiskey distillery. Members of both churches complained that the distillery uh, gave the community a bad image. Additionally, the owner of the distillery was an atheist. Efforts to shut down the distillery were unsuccessful. At last, they decided to hold a joint Saturday night prayer meeting asking God to intervene in this situation. During the prayer meeting, a terrible electric storm raged. To the delight of the church members, lightning struck the distillery, which burned to the ground. The next morning, sermons in both churches were on the power of prayer. The insurance adjuster promptly notified the distillery owner that they would not pay for his damages. The fire was caused by an act of God, and coverage for acts of God was excluded in his policy. The distillery owner sued the members of both churches, claiming that they had conspired with God to destroy his building. The defendants absolutely denied that they had anything to do with the cause of the fire. The judge observed, I find one thing about this case that is perplexing. The plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer. And the defendants, the church members, are denying the power of prayer. Yes, perplexing. Well, prayer is the key to living life on mission. And as we've studied, life on mission involves connecting with people. After we make that connection, then we serve their needs. Then we share the good news of Jesus. And then we continue growth in our relationship with Jesus in becoming closer to him and more like him, as well as reproduction growth, that is, bringing others to Jesus, and after helping win them to Jesus, help them to grow to become more Christ-like. But it is clearly prayer that will contribute to the success of this mission. Now, we're going to close the service. We're going to sing a song. It's an opportunity if uh, you've been struggling in your life and you need prayer, uh, we'd certainly be glad to, uh, to pray with you and for you. Uh, also, if you're contemplating becoming a Christian, uh, being baptized into Christ, uh, I would encourage you as we finish the service that you stop by the link and see Craig here. Uh, and he'll talk to you about setting up an appointment, or if you want to become a member of the church, you're already baptized into Christ, uh, he'll set you up an appointment for us to talk with you, and uh, we'd just be happy for you to do that. We're going to stand now and sing.